It's in this space that the Holy Spirit brings conviction and that God migrates ideas formulated in the head to the heart. All this has kingdom consequences, both here and far away. I stand before you as someone who experienced the Lord speak to me deeply time and time again on countless occasions as I was a Master of Divinity student here in the 1990s. I used to sit right over there with my wife, Nicole, who became my wife while I was here at Asbury Seminary. And I just want to say, bless you, Asbury, because I remember Kingdom Conference. It was a beloved time of the year. And I can still quote some of the Kingdom Conference speakers. And I want to say, bless you for keeping the King at the forefront and the Kingdom. And may the Lord bless us as we bless others as we leave this space. Since Asbury, I've been a first-hand witness to some of the major trends in world Christianity. As you all probably know, the Christianity is growing worldwide by 80,000 souls a day, 89,000 souls a day. Much of that is in the global south, and I can say I saw firsthand expressions of this vibrant faith in Ghana. I worked with the Methodist Church Ghana, and I saw them in that, in a six-year period, plant 836 new congregations. It's explosive growth. I can honestly say the center of gravity, at least in numbers, has moved from the global south to the global north. And I'm so glad that we have so many sisters and brothers in this community who will be shaping the nature of our Christian church in this generation and in the generations to come. But I've also been immersed in a post-Christian Europe where the church continues to lose numerical ground. And in many places, people are groping for ways of effective mission. I've honestly heard people say, Christians joke, we want to make sure that someone's around to make sure the lights are turned off. As a migrant who worked amongst migrants in Germany, I've been a witness as well as to the convergence of these two major trends in world Christianity. The rise of what Andrew Walls calls a post-Western Christianity coming together with a post-Christian West. A lot of this is because a quarter of a billion people are living outside of their country of origin. And all of this is taking place in the age where more people live in cities than not. Multicultural realities are being seen all over the world. Many of the Christians from the global south came, who come to the global north come with a missional church ecclesiology. And they do not stop reaching out as they move. Mission is in their DNA. Can I have an amen for some, some people from the old South? They live it. The reality in many places in Europe is that the church has been forced to deal with its multicultural reality. 
And in some places, like London, and this is definitely the case in the British Methodist Church, the odds are if you're in church on a Sunday, you were born in the Global South. But with that, just imagine hundreds of Ghanaians dancing and rocking the house in Westminster Central Hall. I've been able to be a part of that. It was exciting. In many instances in in Europe, the churches and denominations that are actually growing are growing because they're engaging people who have migrated there, many of whom are from the global south. They're growing because migrants who know Jesus, who are committed to Jesus, move to the global north and live their faith. But they're also growing because people are migrating and they meet Jesus in the global north. It's critical in this day and age for the church in Europe to understand and embrace its multicultural reality. And I sense it's time for the American church to do so as well. It's not as easy to live in our homogenous unit enclaves as it was in the past. This is not unlike what we see in the book of Acts. When we read about the church in Antioch, there's so much more to this story than just the fact that Antioch was the place that followers of the way were first called Christians. You know, Antioch, that church that came together because of the persecution of followers of the way following the stoning of Stephen. They would have been what we say in migration nomenclature, refugees. And they fled to safety in what we call today Syria. Did you catch that? The first, among the first Christian refugees were people who sought safety in Syria. Other followers of Jesus who had sought refuge went to Phoenicia and Cyprus, and these Jewish followers of Jesus did what is common amongst first-generation migrants. They interacted with people like them. And in this case, other Jewish followers of Jesus. And then there were those who came in from the outside, people from Cyprus and Cyrene who infused a different ethos into this community of believers in a scandalous way. They began to tell the good news to the Gentiles. So busting through the bounded set ethos of this Jewish community of Jesus followers was a group of centered set people who said, oh no, our community is all about Jesus. By spending all of our time trying to fit people into a Jewish box, we are missing the nature of this amazingly good news of a community gathered around the lordship of Jesus. And what did these change agents from Cyprus and Cyrene do? They transformed this community into one that focused on the main thing. Now, when I was here in the 1990s, Maxie Dunham was president of Asbury Theological Seminary. And I remember him standing at this pulpit 
standing over there, leaning in on multiple occasions, reminding us in his Mississippi accent, the main thing is to keep the main thing. You might know how this goes. The main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. Sure, there are places for talking about limits, especially theological ones. But we shouldn't do so to the neglect of the Lordship of Jesus. One thing that we may accidentally overlook when we read this passage is just how revolutionary this community in Antioch was. People who had previously seen each other as unclean and profane were fellowshipping with each other. They were gathering around Jesus and blessing Jesus together. The Jews and the Gentiles had spiritual justification to talk in terms of outgroup homogeneity. They are dirty. But they were overcoming boundaries. It was not about seeing the Gentiles as other, but as brother and sister. I've moved back to the U.S. after a long period living abroad. We need to hear this in this day and age. The rhetoric has become somewhat toxic. I believe that we need to talk about us more than they and them. News got back to the church leadership of what was going on in Antioch. The church leadership back in Jerusalem. And the church execs sent Barnabas to go assess the situation. Now, we don't know if he was sent there to shut it down or to encourage and embrace it. But we do know that he could speak to his fellow countrymen from Cyprus and come with authority from Jerusalem. Now, the Jerusalem church, if you look in the book of Acts, had at least initially embraced Peter's vision. You know, one that no one is profane. But I'm convinced that the church had not worked through all of the implications of that. What happens to Jewish privilege if we have Gentile followers of Jesus? What level of deference should they have to us? I'm convinced that those of us in the global north have not yet come to terms with all of the implications of a post-Western Christianity. Oh Lord, may we proceed with humility. When Barnabas arrived in Antioch, he saw the grace of God. Let me say that again. When he got there, he saw grace. Edontain Karin. How does one see grace? We could go in all kinds of directions with our inductive logic here. Yes, the Lord was adding to their number. The hand of the Lord was upon them. But I think we should, shouldn't underestimate the nature of this community where the Holy Spirit was working outside the box. This community was truly intercultural. This would have been immediately obvious to Barnabas. 
Barnabas seeing his fellow diasporic Jews who spoke Greek interacting with these refugees from Jerusalem who may have spoken Aramaic, showing love to previously profane Gentile believers. They were having community. They were having fellowship. They were loving one another. And Barnabas saw grace. Amen. People from different backgrounds coming together because of Jesus. Barriers had come down. This wasn't human nature, but God was at work. I've recently moved back to Wilmore from a very cosmopolitan city with a lot of correlations to first century Antioch. My family was living in Hamburg, Germany, where my wife, Nicole, was serving as pastor of Hamburg International Church. When she took up her position, one of the biggest questions before her was, how did the Lord want her to shepherd that church? Now, let me just say that international churches are indeed different from your average congregation. So there is a lot of turnover. So it's important and essential for you to understand and grapple with your ecclesiology on the front end. What type of church was the Lord leading her to shepherd and the church to be? And one thing, if you're even going to be going to a monocultural church, I would encourage you to wrestle with a lot of ecclesiological questions and talk about this with your church leaders. But we asked the question, and I had a lot of conversations with Nicole, would the church morph into an American church, an American expatriate church? After all, we had been trained in the church growth movement in the 1990s, and we learned that the most expedient way to grow a church is with like-minded people. Or would the church morph into a Ghanaian congregation? We had been living in Ghana and had been shaped by Ghanaian spirituality. My goodness, all-night prayer services. Dancing the offering to the front. I, you know, I, I had, there's one offering I remember, took an hour and five minutes to take up. Amen. Yes. Jubilation in the church. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. Amen. So, so we were asking, was the Lord leading us to, to, to be about forming a, a West African congregation or a Ghanaian congregation? Or... Was the Lord leading the church to be one that was, was a collection of fellowships that coexisted in a broader community? A multicultural church. Tagalog, Nigerian, Korean fellowships within the same broader community. Or was the Lord leading the church to be one that was truly intercultural in nature. We found this exemplar in the church in Antioch. Who doesn't want to be a part of a church that manifests the grace of God? Now, let me say that God does not calling all of us to have and shepherd intercultural congregations. But this was part of the, the, the process that Nicole went through as she became pastor. However, I do think that the Lord does want us 
for those of us who will be shepherding churches to think about these deeper ecclesiological questions. An intercultural church celebrates diversity, wants people to be truly who they are, and allow Jesus to speak deeply to them in their journey. But it's not about conformity. Okay, conformity to Jesus, I'll, I'll grant you that. But it's about unity. Conformity, no. Unity, yes. This was a big shift for me as a cross-cultural missionary. Sure, I had found myself as a cross-cultural missionary often as I interacted with Germans. But when we gathered in our community, I could be Kirk. The guy who was born in Georgia, who had been shaped by his time in Africa and England. I could be who I was, and I was able to, to, to have my community celebrate who I was. And I was able to help people celebrate who they were. And we were pointing each other to Jesus. Since coming to Wilmore, I miss my church in Hamburg, it, but it will remain with me. They've, that has shaped a lot of the things, that, how the way I see things. I remember leading a men's Bible study with, with folks from five continents. Just imagine what it's like to open the Bible and look at a text. Intercultural congregations cultivate an atmosphere of empathy. I think we often found ourselves asking, what would you think about this? Tell me how, this, how someone from your background would read this text. Or how do you worship and celebrate Jesus when you take up the offering? Empathy. To be honest, I think it's one of those attributes we in the evangelical church can be weak at. We often want to have everything figured out and demarcated in neat boxes. But I think we can benefit from stressing that we are defined more by a centered set approach than a bounded set one. It is such a joy, as many of you already know, to point people to Jesus. I believe in this day and age of world Christianity, we can have communities of grace who will be signs of God's grace to the world. So what do we do with strangers in our midst? Hospitality, most definitely. We welcome people. We go the extra mile. We make sure people are welcome. But that's just a start. Do we build relationships that allow us to experience the joys and the pains of people who are different from us? As many of you leave from here, recognize that there will be diversity all around you. Perhaps the Lord is calling us to be shepherds in intercultural congregations, but perhaps the Lord might be able to use you to shepherd whatever community or whatever ministry you're involved in to be sensitive to people who are different and to bring awareness and love and to manifest God's grace wherever you might be. I hope for those of you who will be pastors 
the extent of your multicultural engagement will not just be racking your brains to think if someone might fit into a different racial category when you fill out your year-end membership report. Do we actually build relationships? When you go out to your places of ministries, build relationships, learn, be empathetic. Create spaces in your churches and with your churches to build bridges, to be empathetic, and to let the grace of God manifest itself in your midst. But let us move beyond what we think they want to one that makes space for us to discover what we need together. Hamburg International Church grew while we were there. We weren't flashy, but there was something about the fellowship. Just as in Antioch, the Lord added to our number. Some people had been atheists. Some had barely gone into a church in their lives. And there are others who had been deeply committed believers. I think people who came and became part of our fellowship came because they saw the grace of God in this Jesus-centered community. What could bring people from Ghana, Sri Lanka, China, Canada, India, South Africa, Myanmar, Samoa, England, but the grace of God to love one another? Please allow me to exhort you as someone who has indeed sat where you sit. While you are here at Asbury, make the most of being in relationships and learning from people who are different from you. You are blessed to talk to people from different denominational backgrounds, people from different races, cultures, and nations. As you do this, you are preparing yourself for the kingdom business the Lord is calling you to beyond this space. This space, this community is consequential. Especially as you go and cultivate communities of grace. Dear Lord, may we see boundaries come down. May we have Jesus-centered communities that demonstrate that the grace of God is in plain sight. Amen.